Well, it's exciting to be here for me. Um, I'm really excited about this sermon series, which I think will come over uh, over the sermon. And um, I'm excited about this new year as well. And uh, Friday, as in two days ago, was my third anniversary to the day of beginning here. I don't know if you knew that. So uh, I'm not sure I deserved the last birthday pencil for that. But, but it was an opportunity for me just to reflect back on how things have gone. And I must admit, as I reflected on it, I felt rather happy about it. So um, this is my take on what's happened in the last few years and why I'm excited about this new series and all that 2019 is going to bring because I think this new series comes at exactly strategically the right time. So in those three years, um, highlights for me have uh, been that uh, we worked on our services pretty quickly and um, I think that has, that has worked. We love the balance of the two services that we have each morning. We've worked on our children's youth and families ministry both here and with The Point as well. We've worked on our vision And I feel just as committed and excited about the three vision priorities, which are, can you shout them out? Connecting, praying, growing. Reduce down to that, because we believe if we do each of those things intentionally, then everything else will look after itself. If we pray, we connect with people outside the church, if we make sure we're growing spiritually, well, then the church growing is very likely to follow. So we've also worked on our seniors' ministry. Uh, we've worked on things to help us grow in our faith, like mentoring and the spiritual disciplines we focused on last term. We've worked on our shop window services, like uh, Easter, Remembrance, Christmas. The numbers were up significantly this year or last year, and, uh, and really good feedback on those things. And we've worked on our corporate prayer life with more and more people coming to prayer meetings as well, which is really encouraging. It's been a time of needed, I think, inward investment. And I remember at the beginning, as we were talking as a senior staff team um, about and PCC and other groups about what was needed in that first part of my journey here, uh, we felt that inward investment was what we needed. But what I think we need to work on next is not so much what happens here which we're pleased about, but it's what happens out there. So in 2019, that's what I want to focus on, on mission, on the impact that we're making outside the church. Why? Because I think we're ready for it. We can go out there confident that we have good things to invite people to, and good people in the right places running them as well. But also, crucially, because of the opportunity that we do have coming up of the church plant to deep cut. And I'm going to say more about that later. You've already heard about it from Jeff as well. But it's important that we focus on mission too, because, of course, it is central to God's call on us as Christians. If you think back to Jesus' final words to the disciples in the Great Commission, he said this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it was always Jesus' idea that disciples would go on being made, taught to obey him by generation after generation after generation. Luke tells the story um, in his second book, the book of Acts, about how that happened as each new generation took forward that mission. And that's our calling too, in our generation now, to do that. But to be equipped to take forward that mission, we need what the disciples needed. We need a mission training course. 
And they had one. And it was recorded for us in the Gospels, not least Luke, which is so relevant for us. So that's what we're going to do over the next five months. We're going to go through Luke with the question in mind to take out of it everything that Jesus teaches the disciples about how to do mission effectively. And yes, we, he will send us out. We will go out and try things as well, just as he did with them. So it's about the whole church becoming mission-orientated, not just the people going to deep cut, but the opportunity we have is if we, as a whole church, we spend five months thinking about how to do mission, we then we can use that when we go to deep cut, and we can use that here. And we use it in any of the other communities in which we live or work as well. So I'm excited about what five months of mission training can, can bring. And I'm excited about Luke as well, because I think it's the perfect fit. Because it's a Gentile, uh, Gentile gospel. If you don't know a Gentile, someone not Jewish. And Luke was not a Gentile. And so he's writing to Theophilus, who wasn't a Gentile, a letter to be circulated across the Church of Europe at that time. And it's recorded for us, preserved for us, written by someone who knew how to do mission himself. Luke travelled with Paul on both his second, third and fourth missionary journeys. So he is a skilled practitioner as well. And of course he's writing it about someone who clearly knows how to do mission, Jesus himself. Now add to that the fact that Luke, more than the other gospel writers, seems to be a bit of an amateur historian with a particularly uh, unusual at the time but Western concern for historical accuracy, then we can be confident we've got something we can trust. Actually, at the beginning of his gospel, he says this. Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from, from the beginning... I too decided to write an orderly, orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you would know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke investigated thoroughly. He wanted to know the truth. He had access to so many people who were still alive, including possibly Mary, the mother of Jesus himself. And we end up with a whole load of detail that you don't get in the other Gospels, but always written with a Gentile audience in mind. And that emphasis on truth is so much what we need to hear, isn't it, in this era of fake news, of spin. We need to be sure about these things. And we need to convey that confidence in truth as we share it with others. That there are things in this world you can trust. There are things in this world of which you can be certain. And actually they have a validity And they offer hope, not just for this age, but for eternity. It's great news that we have to share. And the time is good to do Luke as well, because we're picking up on the calling of the disciples here today, having just done Christmas. So it builds on that. And we've heard Jesus' final words. We've heard Luke's first words in his gospel. Now we're going to hear what Jesus, what Jesus presents what Luke presents as the first public words of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Chosen, because I think they're a brilliant introduction to what Jesus' ministry and our mission should be all about. But it's delivered in a sensitive context. 
What had happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry is he was tested in the wilderness by the devil. And then he went and preached in the synagogues right across Galilee, except for one, his hometown, Nazareth. Eventually the time had come. He turns up there. They all know who he is. They've all heard what he's done elsewhere. They all think of him as the carpenter's son. And that's the point at which Jesus gets up. He's given a scroll. And we'll hear what happens next. So, Kirsty, wherever you are, over to you. So, today's reading from Luke and chapter 4, starting at verse 14, page 1031 in the Church Bibles, if you want to follow along. Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Thank you, Kirsty. So what I want to do then in the rest of the sermon is address three vital questions as we begin the series. So the first one then is, what is our mission? What is our mission? What are we actually sent to do? What's the content of it? Secondly, what should be our motivation to fulfil it? Why should we want to do it? And third, how can we fulfill it? What are the key principles in becoming a genuinely missional church? And the answer to the first is clearly in that passage that Kirsty just read, isn't it? We've got three powerful metaphors that capture what the good news of Jesus really is. And effectively, uh, what Jesus' little uh, talk there is, if in a modern political context he was speaking, his manifesto. It's telling us who he's for and what he seeks to do for them. So we learn it's good news for the poor. It's freedom for the prisoners. It's about recovery of sight for the blind. And the first of those reinforced by the allusion to the year of Jubilee at the the year of the Lord's favour. But they are primarily metaphors, even though Jesus, of course, did heal blind people. And I say that because of what Jesus actually did do literally and what he didn't literally do but also because of how he unpacks those metaphors in his teaching elsewhere so what do i mean by that well he didn't as far as we're aware actually release any prisoners so the reference to prison must be a spiritual one about captivity to sin as well as captivity to demons which jesus certainly did release people from likewise though he ministered to the poor He didn't generally give the poor money. He didn't transform their economic situation. The nearest he came to that was indirectly 
through inspiring rich converts to give their money away, such as Zacchaeus, and then in the egalitarian principles of the early church, as they did uh, generously support those in need in their communities. So I think the obvious primary meaning of the metaphor uh, would be uh, what in the Sermon of the Mount Jesus tells us. There we read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus was primarily good news for those in spiritual poverty, for they would find salvation and fulfillment and peace and joy through him. And yet Jesus went out of his way to spend his time with the poor so that they would know they were valued as much by God as anyone else. And what an impact he had. And so following that uh, interpretation of those metaphors, blindness then becomes spiritual darkness with Jesus as the light of the world, an image we often think about at Christmas, don't we? I think we now get the picture. But what those three metaphors do, of course, also capture is the absolute necessity and the absolute desire we all have for those needs to be met, for the God-shaped hole in each of us needs filling and it simply can't be met by anything else. And in the light of all that, the story of the calling of the first disciples makes total sense. For if Jesus is the answer to that deep burning desire we all have in us to have God in our lives and to be made right with him, well then of course the mission, the disciples and all the subsequent disciples like us had to have would be to be fishers of people, fishers of men, women, boys and girls, to take that message of hope, of love, of peace, to as many people as possible, as many as who will hear it. And the purpose of the miracles primarily was to show that Jesus could do it. It backed up his claims, it backed up his promises, it backed up his authority, so that we know If Jesus did miracles, then whatever he said that we can do, he can make happen too. And of course, though there are physical miracles still going on today and we celebrate them whenever we hear about them, the greatest miracle and the ongoing mission of Jesus is the miracle of transformed hearts. So, we're moving on to our motivation for mission now. And the most obvious motivation for me is the joy of giving people what their hearts so desperately long for. To know they are loved, to know they can be forgiven through faith in the cross, and to know their deepest spiritual and, to a large degree, emotional needs can be met with the possibility of physical healing thrown in by the God of such generosity, a God who can meet every need, a God whom, if we seek first his kingdom, will provide absolutely everything to allow us to thrive, to flourish, and to be fruitful for him. Now, I think we can all understand the appeal, can't we, of of volunteering or working within the charity sector. It doesn't pay as much often, but always easy for them to recruit people. Why? Because we all understand the appeal of going out there to those in need and making a difference in their lives. But here's the thing that's so much greater about the mission of Jesus 
than just working for a charity. We don't just meet their temporal needs. We meet their eternal needs. What a privilege. What a joy. What a purpose that is. And it's our calling. And we don't need to do it to impress God, to earn his favour. We can naturally simply do it out of gratitude for what he has already given us. We do it out of love for the one who first loved us. We choose to love God with all our heart, soul and mind. As Jesus instructed us. And also to love our neighbour as ourselves. And we do it through words and actions. In words that share the news of God's love through Jesus and in actions that demonstrate the reality of God's love through Jesus. By genuinely taking an interest in people, getting to know them, sharing of ourselves with them and our resources and helping to meet their physical, social, emotional and spiritual needs. It's a combination that works. And the kingdom of God The mission of Jesus is built on the conquest of people's hearts through the power of truth and love and of the Holy Spirit. And though it's challenging, with Jesus, this most certainly is not mission impossible. After all, it worked for all of us. And I say that too because we are planting a church. And in case you didn't realise, that really is costly and hard And it involves having two of our three vision priorities front and centre. It involves praying into it persistently every day. Praying into a new place that we've had very little impact in in the past. Praying into a place that has got a rather dreadful history, as I'm sure you're aware. And it's about connecting. It's about putting ourselves out there, trying to get to know the people who live there now and the people who will live there as they move in. It's about going out of our comfort zone, consciously trying to form relationships and friendships with people we don't currently know. A church plant can't work any other way. That's what it's all about. It's hard. And it means also that we... We need, to, we need to pray, as I've said. We need to muck in and take on tasks and roles that we might not necessarily actually want to do, but do it simply because it needs to get done. We probably have to give more generously as well in time, talents and treasure. Very much stepping out of our comfort zone. And you have to push through the setbacks and the spiritual opposition that will come as well. So that's church planting. And yet here's the really great things about being part of a church plant. It's exciting. You have to be creative. There's a real satisfaction in starting something from scratch. And in fact, the fact that a church plant is so fragile, so vulnerable, where you have to give everything just to have a chance of it surviving and flourishing. Well, actually, it's that fragility that brings out the best in us. It forces us to get on our knees It forces us to pray into every risk, every threat that that embryonic church is facing. And it draws out of us all the focus, all the faith, all the energy, all the passion, all the love that we need. So that's the motivation. We're moving now on to our third question. The key principle in fulfilling this mission. 
How do we make it a reality? And it includes as a spin-off benefit for those of us who don't join the church plant, that actually if we make that same journey of, of developing a mission mentality, well, it's going to bear so much fruit here as well. So, both at St. Paul's and at St. Barbara's, if we make 2019 a year in which we commit to building relationships with those outside the church intentionally, seeking them out, if we commit to give generously, pray persistently, well, then we can change Camberley too. We can have an impact on the community here, like we hope and pray they will have on the community here. But the key to it, in addition to all I've already said, is what Kirsty said at the beginning of the reading. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And in the passage that Jesus uh, read from Isaiah, he highlighted that too, beginning, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And in the same way, we all need to be filled with the Spirit. If we're going to see our communities reach, we've got to be filled with the Spirit. And we need to be anointed to know that God goes with us, that God is in the things he's calling us to, that we are the right people doing the right things at the right time, so that we have the power to make our mission possible. So, in the prayers for healing time, in a few minutes, as Jeff uh, has begun to mention, we will have an opportunity to anoint people with oil and then to pray for them at the same time that God would reveal uh, whatever he's calling us to, that he would fill us with with his Holy Spirit and that he would prepare and equip us for whatever he's calling us to. So in the prayers for healing time, that opportunity will be here at the front. There's five of us who will have oil and would love to pray for you short prayers like that. And as you'll hear later, the prayers for healing team will also be at the back. So I'm almost done. I just want to share with you three small practical suggestions on top of what I've already said to help us become genuinely a missional church. So the first is about deep cut and that meeting tomorrow evening. 7.45, St. Christopher Room or in the church if it's too many people uh, to fit in there. We'll give you a lot more information about the background to the plant, the vision, the timescales, and the things we plan to do next. And I'd encourage you to come, even if you can't see yourself being part of the planting team itself, because we want to support it from here. We want the whole church to go through that journey together, in prayer and in many other ways, and so that we can develop that mission mentality as well. So you're all invited tomorrow, but certainly, if you think you might like to go on that church plant, Come along, or if you can't, let Daniel or I know, and uh, we'll keep you in the loop in terms of what's happening next. Okay, so that's that meeting, and if you want to help with the Saturday event as well at St. Barbara's, obviously let us know. My second practical suggestion is why don't you really throw yourself into this series, this five-month series on mission with Jesus? What does that mean? Obviously, it's great if you can come and listen, but if you can't come ever... Why don't you listen to it anyway online? And if you're not in a life group, why don't you join a life group so you can really process what we're learning about this mission training course in this series? Why don't you move out of your comfort zone and really seek God's guidance 
about what he's calling you to in this next season. To ask him to reveal what mission looks like in your life. To really seek discernment about who you can share the love and truth of Jesus with. And to give you the courage to do it. And now my third suggestion. Do you have someone you could invite to Alpha on the 30th of January, daytime or evening? This week is exactly the right time to ask them. Give them a bit of warning before it starts. Or the next Oasis meeting, uh, which will be coming up soon. Another great thing to invite people to. But some of you, I think, will be in a situation rather like me. I've put together a list of people that I would describe as very loose, fringe contact here at church, come along perhaps a a couple of times a year, um, who I've got to know in other contexts, mainly through Clara's class and parties and things like that. So I've got a list of people that I've been getting to know a little, but I don't currently think I know them well enough, and I haven't introduced them to enough other people that they, they know well, for me to be likely to succeed if I invite them to Alpha. So what I'm going to do, I've decided this month, is to start a, a once-a-month curry club aimed at men in the sort of 30s and 40s uh, just to build relationships. My dream goal is that come September, they'll agree to go and do Alpha together not with those people that they've got to know. And that, I think men particularly, men with children, just don't have a social life anymore. Well, not, nowhere near enough of one. I don't know if that's true of your husband, if you're sniggering, ladies. But I've been talking about it with people. Men don't get out very often. So I'm hoping I can address that in my own way. But what about you? Are there an activity that you could do with some people who aren't yet Christians that they would enjoy, that you would enjoy, that they'd enjoy inviting their friends to, and which could create a situation in which trust could build, seeds could be sown, curiosity could be gone into, an alpha course, an alpha invitation might be accepted, and some people's lives will be turned round. Okay, I need to finish. I want to finish where Peter finished, actually, in the video passage that we heard read. For when Peter realized that Jesus was who he thought he was, Son of God, Messiah, calling him to be one of his disciples. What was his reaction? He said, away from me, Jesus. Go away from me. I'm not worthy to be your disciple, for I am a sinful man. And yet, what were Jesus' words back to him? They were so reassuring. Don't be afraid, he said. And then he showed Peter what he could become, a fisher of men. And if you look at the other versions of this story in the other Gospels, he showed him that he would be a leader around whom he would build his church. He called him a rock. And folks, I want to say to you, however confident you feel, however sinful you feel, however unworthy you feel of being used by God, his reaction to you is that of Jesus' to Peter. Do not be afraid. He forgave Peter and he forgives us. He just calls us to follow him, trust in his spirit, and then whatever he wants to do as part of his mission will be accomplished. Amen.
So what we're going to